Martin banks it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around in front. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one in front. It's the TC Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. TC Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Fudson. Right up front. Younger fit inside of the net. Is now in. Well, hello, and here we go on a Friday afternoon in Las Vegas. And no, this is not the doctor. This is Brian Feldman coming off the bench, pitch hitting out of the penalty box, whatever you want to say for the doctor himself, TC Martin, who is off today, although he will be on for the pick segment a little later in the show. I am joined by co host today, Marco D'Angelo known handicapper and a genuinely good guy and also a great sports mind. He'll be kicking it off with me here today. And of course, behind the wheels of steel is the man, Numbchuck. Justin, who I call the Chuckmeister. Nobody else likes that nickname but me. You like it, though, right? I love it. Okay, well, there we go. As long as you like it, that's all that matters. You're the one that's got to live with it. Uh, we've got a, a lot a planned for you today and looking forward to that. I just want to let you know beforehand, the T.C. Martin Show is every Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. here on KSHP and also streaming live at tcmartinshow.com. If you miss any part of this show or any show, go to tcmartinshow.com under the podcast section. Also, check out the interview page and hear from uh, the great guests go to the current and classic interviews page anytime at tcmartinshow.com and don't forget to come by and see the show other than today live every friday 2 to 4 p.m at the sports book at the westgate las vegas the world's largest sports book home of the giant 4k video wall watch the games in comfort in a non-smoking environment the world famous super book at the westgate las vegas marco what's going on man well, trying to stay away from the strip. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. Usually the word strip is a good thing. Yeah. Not not this weekend. Not this week. No. <laughs> I appreciate the bells, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's not. And, you know, it's funny because I kind of mentioned it. Everyone's like, man, you go into the Formula One. It's going to be so cool. It's at night in Las Vegas. I'm like, you know, I'm not disagreeing. It's going to be cool. It's at night in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, no, for the first time, I'm going to miss a major event in Las Vegas and not go cover it. I am going to stay away from the strip this weekend. I'm not even one of the basketball games. I'm just going to spend a weekend away from the strip and recouping. There's no home UNLV football game. No home UNLV basketball game. No Vegas Golden Knights game and the Raiders are on the road. I got a breather, man. I'm going to take it off this weekend. What are you doing, Marco? Well, I'll be watching football like I do uh, every weekend and uh, making uh, some... uh Quite a few bets. <laughs> Who am I kidding? Uh, that's what we do on the weekends. And, you know, there were still good games. Obviously, you know, you talked about you know, UNLV not being in town, but they got a big game this week. They do. Uh, and they Air do. Force has been, you know, rolling. You know, I can't believe long. I'm going to say this, and I don't mean to interrupt you, you, Marco, but big might be the understatement of the century. I mean, this is a team that hasn't won this many games in three decades. I mean, this is unbelievable. I moved here in 2008, so I haven't experienced all three uh, decades of UNLV football, but this is by far and away the best that we have seen. Nobody really, you know, I liked the coaching hire. I thought it was going to be a, a good one. I thought they were going to improve, but 
honestly, I thought that this is at least a year to two years ahead of schedule. This has been a pleasant surprise, and they're going against an Air Force team that, you know, we'll talk about it later, I'm sure. They uh, ran off the rails the last two weeks. They were cruising along, and then they, you know, lost two in a row, and it's been the turnover bug that's hurt them. We'll see what UNLV can do. But they're going to have to face that old option attack. And that's something that's totally different for most college teams. They don't face, you know, those type of teams all the time. They're tough to defend. Let's see what uh, Barry Odom's got drilled up this week. Yeah, definitely want to talk a little bit about that in, in, in a few here because um, I am excited to see what Barry Odom, talking about him, I never get tired of it. My favorite coach, and as a matter of fact, I, I'm not going to fall in love with him because he's not going to be here long. It's going to be like dating a hot woman that you know is going to leave. I mean, that's what getting excited about Barry Odom, but at least there, there could be a change in culture, which is all we've been asking for here for a long time. I just wanted to let you know, too, joining us in just a short while, about 20 minutes from now, will be Darren Elliott looking really Really forward to having Darren on the show. I, I, most of you out there got to know who Darren Elliott is. He is the vice president of hockey programming and facility operations for the Vegas Golden Knights. You see him on all of the Vegas Golden Knights broadcasts. I was watching him last night as the Vegas Golden Knights were in Montreal playing the Canadians. We'll talk about that. And then a little, little later on in the second hour of the show, we'll be joined by uh, the sports director of 8 News Now, a good friend of mine, Chris Mathis, will join the show. And Chris and I were at the on the field at the last uh, UNLV game. We're at every sporting event together. Chris, of course, is down in the mayhem that is Las Vegas Boulevard and F1 right now. Uh, he's purporting every hour. You can see Chris on 8 News Now, and uh, he'll be joining us, like I said, about right around about 310 shortly after the beginning of the next hour. Right now, real quickly, Marco, what I wanted to talk about and kick off the hour, the biggest news in, in Las Vegas, maybe the biggest news in, in the country, definitely the biggest news in Major League Baseball. All 30 owners get together yesterday in Arlington, Texas, right across the road from uh, uh, the, the home of the world World Series champion, first time ever, Texas Rangers, which is pretty cool. But um, and they all thirty of them vote to allow the Raiders to relocate, and uh, it's a big story. It's not as big of a story as it is. Everyone anticipated this. No one is sitting here like, oh my god, it's happening. We've all known it's been happening for a while. You know what? I don't know what my biggest surprise is. And TC, don't kill me if you're listening or when you listen to broadcast. But the biggest surprise to me in this whole thing right now is John Fisher's statements after the vote and, and i'm just going to read them to you tell me what you what you hear is missing here okay vegas as um it says he was talking about it vegas as the capital he acknowledges vegas is the capital of the world for all forms of entertainment all forms of entertainment right you see it with local fans going to aviators games local fans going to golden knights games and raiders games we are going to be the third major professional sports franchise coming to las vegas is something missing there in John Fisher's? Because in the columns, the columnist Ed Grady mentioned uh, what I'm talking about. Not that John Fisher didn't say it. Nobody mentioned, just kind of put brushed it under the rug. But he kind of neglected. They're all talking about the hype and how great Las Vegas is. There's a two-time champion here in Las Vegas that somehow never came out of his mouth yesterday. Yeah, that's... Uh... A big omission on his part. I'm sure he, re he regrets that, and uh, he's going to hear about it. I'm sure he already has. He's hearing <laughs> about it right now. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, you say we know that it was coming, and I'm here. Like, I almost got to the point where I was tired of hearing it's going to happen. Let's get it happening. You know, I don't know. Maybe skeptical. I kept waiting for, you know, Oakland to somehow magically make a, you know, uh Stroke of midnight, you know, save to get the team somehow, but we got the team. Now we're all excited. The problem is 
we're not going to have a stadium built for them to actually play here to what 2028 is when we're going to have the first uh thing so yeah 2028 they're projected to start building it uh in 2025 april is when they're supposed to break ground on it oakland and of course uh uh they're they're still talking about finding a way to save it they're not fully giving up on it listen give up on it you know how they always say when it comes to age you know 50 is the new 40 60 is the new 50 no one says that till you hit 40 and 50 is when you start saying that when you're 20 you're old that's all there is to it but you know what they're going to hate hearing this Las Vegas is the new Oakland. <laughs> well, it's definitely, we got two teams here, uh, now and we'll see what happens. But the question's going to be, I know they have one more year on the lease. So they've got that. They have not, they were the lowest drawing team in Major League Baseball last year, attendance wise. What are they going to do that those couple bumper years? Are they going to come to Vegas? Are they going to play it? You know, the, the Aviators ballpark, or are they going to find another home? I mean, they can't play at UNLV Stadium. There's no high school stadium ready, able to accomplish them. They're not going to go back down to Cashman Field. No. There is no other option but but uh, the Las Vegas ballpark. It's a beautiful facility, maybe the nicest AAA facility in the country, mm-hmm. but it's only 10,000 seats. But then again, the way Oakland's been drawing, that wouldn't even pack the stadium. Yeah. You know, when you talk about it, the A's had an MLB low $57 million payroll to start 2023 and ended the year with the worst record in baseball, 50 and 112. That's something that's got to change. But you know what's crazy? What most people don't realize from 2000 through the start of this past season, the A's had the sixth best record overall and were tied for the fifth most playoff appearances in that span with 11, with one of the lowest payrolls and budgets in Major League Baseball throughout the, the 21st century. So pretty crazy that, uh, you know, they're coming here. We're, you know, taxpayers are asked to spend, th- to pay $380 million, mm-hmm. which we are told we're going to be paying. The stadium's going to be $1.5 billion. And yet it's a losing organization as far as the last couple of years goes, dramatically losing. Marco, how does it stop the bleeding? And is Fisher really going to, when they get this money, they move to Vegas, or they get the stadium, I should say, is he really going to open up the Purse Springs and, and increase the budget as he says he will? Now, you look at some teams that have done that, that have moved to new stadiums, and the success, there have been some in other sports. You move to a new stadium, all of a sudden you start having a whirlwind of success. Is that something that we can expect from the A's when they move to Las Vegas? I think they're going to have to, given all of the examples that you've stated we already have here. We've got the Golden Knights. We saw what they have done. You've got the Las Vegas Aces. And, you know, the Raiders haven't got there yet, but, you know, obviously in the last couple of weeks, things got stirred up with the The stadium's Ra- still full, yeah. though, because it's football. It's football. It's going to be, and in, in you're only dealing with, you know, Eight, you know, eight or, you know, games a season, you know, nine games uh, with the 17 game schedule sometimes. But what you're going to have here and what they didn't have in Oakland once they get the new stadium, think about the walk up trade on game day. You're, you're going to have so many tourists here in Vegas. That is right on the strip. You're going to be at the Tropicana location. So you're going to have, thousands and thousands of people that you can draw from on a daily basis for, hey, what do you want to do tonight? Oh, look at that. Look at that beautiful stadium down there. Let's just walk up, catch a game. Then you're also going to get the same effect that we have seen with the Golden Knights, and you're seeing at the Raider games, 
And if you remember the first year of the Golden Knights, the arena, T-Mobile, it was 50-50, 60-40 on most nights because you have people that want to see their team. This is a transient city. There's a lot of people from all other parts of the country. Think about when you get the blue bloods of baseball come to town. Who's not going to want to see the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs, you know, teams that draw the Dodgers when they come here? That is going to be a destination. And we talk about it all the time. Where else can you go for a three day weekend where you can gamble? You can see major sporting events. You can eat at some of the best restaurants in the world all in a three day, three day yeah. weekend. That's what's going to make this successful. Now, they have to spend the money. You talk about Oakland's record that they were the sixth best, and that would have actually shocked me because we always have a recency bias, but we forget that this team, you know, go back to the Billy Ball years in, you know, uh, Moneyball and what they were able to accomplish. And me being from a small market city, you know, I moved here from Pittsburgh. You know, my pirates have been dreadful for ever. Okay. And we got that new stadium, PNC Park. And um, it's not me being biased. You talk to anybody that covers baseball around the country, they put PNC Park as one of the top three ballparks in Major League Baseball. That is not translated to me to them spending money and getting a good team. I think the A's are going to be forced to just because of the other teams in town. Yeah, you know, and and I agree. I think that they they will spend the money. I mean, when you look at it, um, you know, uh, the the A's are set to become the first major league brand franchise to move, which is crazy because baseball doesn't have a lot of movement since Montreal did back in two thousand and four and changed their names as we know to the Washington Nationals. Um, but as John Fisher said, it was a bittersweet day, and of course, Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, was not happy about it initially. He said that they did everything they could and looked at every option for them to stay in the Bay Area. It just didn't make sense financially, and the fact is there's just no way you could play at the Oakland Almeida Coliseum anymore. They've been there since 1968. I mean, that facility is a dinosaur to the point that pretty soon, if they don't make major reconstruction to that stadium, it's going to be a, be a hazard. It's going to be dangerous. So they're going to have to do something, although I think they will end up renting out that stadium, because if I'm not mistaken, Fisher is like half owners. So I believe they will rent out that stadium. That's probably where they'll play until 2028 on like a year-to-year lease unless things get untenable. Then maybe they'll look at possibly playing across, you know, over where maybe where the Giants play. That's a that's a viable option. I just don't know how the schedules. There's got to be a lot of conflicts when you've got 162 games. Or they could just end up at the Las Vegas ballpark and say we're just going to eat it for a little while Mm -hmm. and uh, until this can happen. But um, you know, there's been opposition to this as well. You've got uh, you've got the the stadium people against the teachers against the stadium right now that Mm -hmm. are complaining. And and I understand they've got viable arguments. Should these tax dollars be going towards better education in Las Vegas than towards a 1.5 billion dollar Major League Baseball stadium? No matter what else it's used for, they've got a point. Um, The fact that we are the number 40 television market in the country and there's only 30 teams that means we're not one of the 30 top major markets but as you just pointed out so eloquently 
why Vegas deserves this and why they will step up and make themselves a better, more competitive baseball team. And I do believe that even though Billy Bean's not the president, he's still involved. And uh, hopefully they'll leave him alone with the analytics and just start giving him more money to spend. And I think <laughs> that'll make everyone a lot happier with that. But I think this is something that is going to be good for it. I think when all is said and done, it hasn't been 110% cemented yet, Marco. But I got to believe it is going to be the Tropicana site where the hotel is that will be where the stadium eventually goes it makes the whole the makes the most sense and the way they're configuring the stadium people will be able to look the fans will be able to see the vegas strip which was also part of the appeal of allegiant stadium although when i talk about allegiant stadium talk for another time i don't know why they, the hell they never open it up they said we've got an open-ended stadium yeah. we've had some beautiful days and you don't open the damn thing up we would never know it here yeah. but what do you think do you think it is going to be on that site and that being said do you think because of the climate in Las Vegas, in the desert, that that will be a retractable roof stadium. You're going to have to do because you know what it's like here in July. I mean, I I love winters in Vegas. Okay, <laughs> coming from Pittsburgh, absolutely love it. I still, and I've been here 13 years. I dread the month of July. Okay, I don't like it. It's you know, 110 plus for like a three week stretch every year. You're going to have to have something there. And it does make sense for it to be at that location. Now, I can tell you this much. I don't know if I be, will be wanting to drive on Tropicana anymore. We just got a taste of it in the last oh couple Lord. months of what the congestion has been there. And, you know, I don't know what side of town you come from, but I come from the west side. And when I was going to the hockey games last year and through the playoff run, all of the games, it was not fun getting to T-Mobile. And I'm on the up. other side. I'm on the east side, so a little bit slightly easier for me. And um, I'm going to agree with you. It is definitely tough, but I'll tell you, when you talk to fans or people that have that have transplanted here from New York, from L.A., from Chicago, maybe even some of my friends from Detroit, mm -hmm. they'll tell you, Hey man, welcome, welcome to our world when you talk about traffic, right? We've been yeah. so, even though there's constant construction, people, mm. there's gonna, there's constant construction everywhere. Every place, a major city you go to, man, if there's always construction, mm. it's because there is a lot of traveling done on roads and weather obviously affects asphalt over right. time. So you're going to have construction always, but we see it in Vegas, but even with the major construction a few years back with the spaghetti bowl, what they're doing now on Tropicani, it pales in comparison to what you drive on a normal workday in Los Angeles, California. You know, if you could work, 30 minutes from home, but it's a two-hour commute back and forth because of traffic. So no one's going to feel sorry for us for now, our little traffic issues here in Vegas. The cool thing, though, is is the presence of these teams. There is no question the NBA is going to soon follow. Mm -hmm. We're already hearing rumblings of that. I predicted, and I was dead wrong, I said the NBA years ago would be the first franchise that came to Vegas, and that was the day that Adam Silver became commissioner of the NBA because he's so much more of an advocate of Las Vegas and understands sports wagering much more than David Stern ever did. He did not like Las Vegas and 2007 was not indicative of what you're going to see mm -hmm. here in the future although that is what I believe held up the NBA as the debacle during the All-Star weekend here that killed the the NBA coming to Vegas and why they're trailing a little bit behind but in five years we will have all the majors here. Absolutely and I 
believe that when the NBA does give the expansion team, if we get a team, I think it's going to be one of those where I think Seattle's going to come as well. I think we're, there's going to be two teams added to the NBA. I think Seattle's going to get well, a Well, Seattle's team. definitely going to get a franchise. Okay. I mean, that market deserves one. I was shocked years ago when the Sonics left. The Super Sonics were right. a, a, a really popular franchise. Gary Payton, Jack Sigma, right. some great players have come through there. And yet, uh, they're, 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 they, they, they let them go, but they'll have a, they'll have a franchise again and Vegas will have one. And I think it's really, really cool what we're seeing here in Vegas. I mean, I don't think it's not that it's uncool Formula One. It's funny because one of the drivers on, if you saw, I don't know if you got a chance to see the Dude. review journal today, but one of the drivers on the front page of the review journal is complaining and saying, you know, it's, he says it's 99% entertainment, 1% F1 race. And he's like, I'm a Formula One racer. I don't give a crap about any of this stuff. I'm concerned about the race. And I guess the very first practice session yesterday was stopped because one of the drivers hit a manhole cover that wasn't properly covered and they had to stop practice. Now, they said they were going to have a second session at midnight. I'm not aware whether that took place or not. I was asleep. Did It did it, it took place from 2 to 4 a.m. Two, were you there? No. You, were, you, were, you were where I was, right? Yeah. Not in the same place, but doing what I was doing. I, I was in bed, yes. I was studying. I was studying the back of my eyelids at yeah. that point in time. So, so uh, yeah, I, so it did take place. Obviously, they fixed the covers. They said they were going to go around at that point and recheck every single manhole cover to make sure the pro Because, I mean, one little thing, like, I mean, learning about, I used to follow Indy years ago, and I interviewed years ago a, a driver who I loved. They always call, he was always a bridesmaid, Tom Sneva. Mm. And Tom Sneva always seemed to finish second. He's got like four second place finishes at the Indianapolis 500 but he, he corrected me on a couple of things one he said that um to stop calling them cars they are not automobiles they are machines and he said number two is why do you say that why why did they because they, they at the race one of the IndyCar races I went to they had stopped the race because of debris and it was like small paper debris and he said that can be catastrophic when you're going 200 miles an hour on a racetrack. A piece of paper can end your life. Yeah. And I thought, okay, you know, I can't argue with that. But that is why it is so important that these courses are scrubbed, taken care of, covers are covered. Because one little glitch of stone can be the end of somebody's life. Absolutely. And, you know, the statement, though, about 99%, you know, show Let's be realistic. That's what it's, that's what Vegas is. And that's, you know, why they, you know, they wanted it. Uh, you know, it's going to be good for TV, not for people, you know, on the East Coast that want to watch this race. Cause, you know, we're complaining about races starting at, you know, 10 PM at night. Uh, I just came back from the East Coast last week and I just remembered how bad it is to watch sports on the East Coast when I was trying to watch the UNLV game on Friday night last week. And that game starting at, you know, what was it? 10 or 1030 East Coast time. I'm in bed before the start of the third quarter. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I couldn't, uh, hang the whole game. Plus I had to get up early to go to the, uh, Penn State Michigan game, uh, the following oh, morning. Oh, jealous. Yeah. It, uh, that was, Another subject that we're going to talk about yeah. down the road, Justin's showing me some pretty cool stuff. Uh, it's actually a camera view of them driving around the Vegas track, and he showed me the manhole cover. That's the actual one it hit. You can just, oh, you see there's the a bump. Little bump. Wow, so it's from his helmet cam. They're showing when the actual hit, or from his car cam, but yeah, it's pretty pretty intense. You see a quick yeah. bump, and man, that, and he's not going full out right there. If he had been, that could have been catastrophic. Um, But uh, 
Uh, listen, we are. I, I just realized we are running a little bit late for a break, so let's take that because we got we're coming back on the other side with Darren Elliott. Um, I am looking forward to, as I mentioned, uh, seeing what the race itself. I'll see yeah. it on television. I am looking forward to that. Not to downplay it at all. I think it's really cool. I th- think it speaks volumes for the respect Vegas is getting internationally right. by all sports, and that's really really cool. Something I think all of us now that consider ourselves, you know, Vegas locals. I mean, I've been here since two thousand two. I guess I'm a mm-hmm. lo- two thousand four. I'm a local now, but um, I like seeing all this. Listen, again, we're going to take a break. You are listening to the T.C. Martin Show. I am Brian Feldman, pinch hitting for T.C. Martin. I am joined today by handicapper Marco D'Angelo, and also uh, producing the show is Justin Tuck. We appreciate you listening. We will be back on the other side, coming back to you with the Vice President of Hockey Programming and Facility Operations for the Vegas Golden Knights, Darren Elliott. All that and more on your way right after this. Hey, everyone. This is Carnell, a.k.a. Golden Pipes, and I want to welcome you back to the T.C. Martin Show. And welcome back to the T.C. Martin Show. We are live at KSHP 1400 AM here every Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m., Streaming live at tcmartinshow.com. Once again, I am Brian Feldman. Coming off the bench, coming out of the penalty box for T.C. Martin. Joined by co-host Marco D'Angelo. Great uh, sports handicapper and a great guy. And, of course, Justin Tuck behind the wheels of steel here producing the show. If you miss any part of this show or any show, go to tcmartinshow.com. Under the podcast section, also check out the interview page and hear from the great guests. Go to the current and classic interview pages anytime at tcmartinshow.com. Don't forget to come by normally every Friday from 2 to 4 at the Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas, the world's largest sports book, home of the giant 4K video wall. Watch the games in comfort in a non-smoking environment, the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate, Las Vegas. And no more further ado, well, let's get him right on right now. Coming off of, uh, I, I, I gotta believe, I know he's on the road somewhere because he was in Montreal last night, but we're, we've got on the air with us right now, Darren Elliott is the Vice President of Hockey Programming and Facility Operations for the Vegas Golden Knights. You hear him on almost every Vegas Golden Knights broadcast. If you watch the game against Montreal, you heard him then. Darren, appreciate taking some time out to join the show today. Oh, thanks for having me on. And actually, when the team's on the road, we don't always travel. We have a studio at uh, City National Arena, so Millard and I were there. Uh, we're in town. So, oh, look! Uh, at I would have never known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They uh, built a studio a couple years ago, and uh, we do the road games mostly from here. Um, but again, it's it's pretty seamless the way they do it production wise. No, that's really cool, and it makes 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 life a lot more easy for you guys. Uh, you know, on the road, and and th- like I just told somebody right before I came to the studio, someone's like, you know, yeah, they won last night, good comeback win, but you know, they're two and three in their last five games. And my response was, I'm not going to respond. Are you kidding me? I mean, they're just fine for God's sakes. But uh, you know. Th- I think last night was an important win for them again. You know, as you get some of the guys back and, 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 and healthy, this team is as deep as any team in the National Hockey League, Darren. And, and I'm just telling you something that, of course, you know real well. But um, I'm not concerned at all. But I do think last night was a real nice way to come back and win the game. It's just five goals is a lot. But then again, I will never discredit Aiden Hill with the way he came on last year. Plus, with two seconds to go in that game, as you pointed out in the post game, my God, did he make a hell of a save to, to cement the win and prevent them from having to go to overtime. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I, I agree with you, it was important. I mean, uh, Jonathan Marshall scored, that's always important to get him rolling because he hasn't gone on a, a rip yet, and we know he's, he's very streaky, and that's, that's not a knock, that's just the way when he gets going, he gets feeling good. So I, I would I would think he might have a, a you know a, the back half of this road trip. He's a guy to watch out for. Good for him to score. 
And then the special teams carried them, right? You got three power play goals uh, and a shorty. Um, doesn't get much better than that. So they got healthy um, and yet another way to win. Um, and, you know, Mark Stone said it best afterwards, and, and it shows how far this this group has come. And when I say the group, it, that includes the coaching staff, the trust back and forth between the locker room and the coaches. And he goes, you know, he talked to him. He goes, yeah, Butch, he's going to have to understand that every game isn't going to be two to one, one nothing. We're going to have to find other ways to win. Sometimes it's going to be a, a different kind of game. And so far, they've checked every kind of box. Any kind of game you want to play, uh, they can hold their own, certainly, as champions. I don't mind seeing 80s-style hockey where I'm seeing 11 goals in a game. I mean, to me, that's a lot of fun, man. I like goals. And this team, as you mentioned, special teams is so special for the Vegas Golden Knights right now. I know how much emphasis Bruce Cassidy puts on special teams play. But when you look at their top four scorers right now, one of them, of course, being a defenseman, no shock that Shea Theodore is in that category, one of the best two-way defensemen in the National Hockey League. But William Carlson and Jack Eichel and Mark Stone – all have as many or more points as games played this season so far. Love seeing Carlson get off to the same kind of start he did in 2017 when he had that magical run and scored 43 goals. And I love seeing this in him. Jack Eichel is, be- is-, is becoming, since that injury, the person everyone in the player, everyone here had hoped he would become mark stone i don't think you could have ever found a better initial guy to put that c on his sweater than mark stone and shea theodore as i mentioned one of the best two-way defensemen in the game and then we're not even talking about guys like jonathan marchiso or or alex petrangelo or Braden mcnab who yeah Braden mcnab had a bad giveaway last night but he also scored his first goal and is showing that he is also a guy capable of offense with all the assists he's had this year yeah it's uh i mean you know just that just that rundown, Brian, it, it shows the depth you, you spoke of initially. I mean, that's a deep team. And it's not just, you know, again, it's not just a, a bunch of players who have good resumes. They're at the right times in their careers together. You know, that's often overlooked, right? It's like, oh, yeah, they're an aging team. Or they're, they're, they're mostly the guys you just talked about. In their prime, maybe the back part of their prime, um, like, like the Marsh so and guys like that. But there's also guys in the, just entering their prime or one, what, what's considered your prime, 26, 27, 28, Stone and Eichel. Um, Carlson, to me, uh, last year could have been a, a consummate candidate. I, I thought his, his playoffs in terms of his production was, was fantastic. That, that's obvious, but he was out there against the opposition's top offensive players most series and to do both i thought he was uh was outstanding Oh, no, no question about it. I thought there were four different guys, Darren, that could have won the Con Smythe last yeah, year. I mean, right. Jack Eichel, you know, Jonathan March, so deserving, but you mentioned William Carlson, Aiden Hill. There's no right. question that they were scratching their head. You're talking about a guy that was an afterthought of the San Jose Sharks a year ago and a guy <laughs> that, uh, that, that when, uh, you know, I, my, my producer on my show on Fox is Chris Chapman, who, you know, you know, Chris, and he's in the locker room all the time. And, and when I told him, we were, we were discussing, okay, well, now that we know that letters on on the shelf, who are they going to get to back up, you know, Logan Thompson? I mean, it's his first year. They got to get somebody, right? So I, I brought up a few names, and I'd thrown up Aiden Hill, and Chris goes, we don't want him. 
And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, and a week later, Chris goes, well, I stand corrected. We got him. I'm like, well, he's going to be the backup. You know, they got Laurent Brossois should be healthy in a couple weeks. They'll be okay. Who could have ever saw this coming? And then as I did my due diligence on Aiden Hill, I realized that at every level, all the way back to like peewee and bantam hockey, he has been a late bloomer, a guy that starts slow. And then all of a sudden, look out, he has his presence. And when you've got an imposing figure with a guy the size of Aiden Hill that starts playing lights out hockey, you're talking about a potential great hockey goaltender and you would know all about that because that's the position you played position i played i didn't play it at the great level but certainly uh hey you played for my red wings for a couple of years well, I, and that's I what i care about I certainly recognize greatness um and aiden hill the, the, more importantly uh sean burke was one who recommended aiden hill he'd worked with him in arizona um and, and again being a big body goaltender himself uh th- there was some strategic things that he saw in his game, uh, thought highly of him. Uh, he had done his due diligence, had worked with him, and you can tell how it, how Aiden Hill has refined his game uh, in a, a much better environment uh, with, with the structure and, and the talent um, on this team compared to what uh, he had dealt with both in Arizona and San Jose. So uh, it, it really a good fit for a lot of reasons. Uh, including Sean Burke uh, and his astute assessment of, of what Aiden Hill could become. Darren Marco here. I got a question for you. And yeah. This comes from my handicapping side of the ledger for yeah. me is what I do. Uh, I like to look at situational stuff a lot. And mm-hmm. you're a guy, you've played in the league, you've right. traveled with the team, you're not traveling on this particular road trip. But when you have a road trip like the Golden Knights have right now, it's a five-game right. road trip, you've got three games in four nights, uh, coming up, you started it last night, you got tonight yep. off, but then you have that back-to-back against Philadelphia and then my uh, hometown team, the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's a tough schedule, only to have after that weekend of Philly and Pittsburgh, they got to go to Dallas. And we know, you know, I mean, Dallas, the, the history of, you know, last year in the playoffs – Obviously, sure. the coach situation there in everything. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate something like that? That you know that you stay focused for all of these games, and somewhere there's got to be a look ahead game and a letdown game. How do you avoid those? Well, I think one of the things on this trip, right? You, you had you had a game, and then you had it, like it was. It's kind of drawn out. Um, the the, the Philly Pittsburgh back to back. Um, because of the times of the, the puck drops, um, and that there's not much travel between Philly and Pittsburgh, as you know, then. Yeah. So, so you, you know, you have a one o'clock game in Philly, you get into Pittsburgh at, at a really good time, good meal, no problem. And I think the Pittsburgh might be like a six o'clock puck drop. So, so from a, a wear and tear on the body, not arduous at all because of the proximity. Philly to pit and, and, and the puck drop times. Um, you know, it's not like you played a night game and then an afternoon game, uh, you know, something like that. Um, and then Dallas, it, 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 you're not going to look beyond it because that, you know, that, that, that gets your spider senses tingling, right? It, it's like that, that's one of the teams you want to, it's one of the top teams. So you're going to be ready as a team and you're going to be well rested. Um, there, there could be, the only thing that happens, can you get flat for that Dallas game? Cause you've been on the road for a long time 
And there's, you know, I think there's a couple of days in between that, you know, them playing and, and then playing in Dallas. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a drawn out process because they, they, and they fit in the, uh, the White House visit. Um, and, and the front part of it's kind of, okay, Washington and Montreal, it's kind of wonky that way. So it, there might be some road weariness just because you've been on the road for so long, but the trip itself isn't as demanding as you might think. Yeah, you know, that's it, it, road trips are always tedious, and this is the first one for the Vegas Golden Knights. I think it was kind of good for them to get out of town for a minute, catch the catch their collective breath where they get a chance to all spend that amount of time together. I think it's always right. good for a team to get that camaraderie in, and it's a tough it's a tough game. I was worried last game because coming off of that loss to Washington, I thought, you know, well, they're going into Montreal. Even though Montreal's 500, they've been playing – they started the season playing really subpar, and I thought uh, – I was worried it could be a trap game. And then when it started, they, the first two, they get, they go up two to nothing. I'm like, Oh no, this is not what we need. And that's why I thought it was huge for Vegas to kind of catch their, like, wait a minute. What's going on here? Let's start playing hockey. And they did. And especially in the third period, you saw Aiden Hill come to life when he had to the most. And that just shows his prowess and ability. Um, what do you think? And, and you, we talked about a window a little bit ago. Um, and before I let you yeah. go, Darren, a couple things you talk about window. What is the Vegas Golden Knights productivity window at this level? Level, do you think? I know Jonathan March, though, one of the elder statesmen now, I think 32, maybe turning 33 this year, but a lot of those guys are in their prime or the tail end of their prime. What do you think the window is for them to be able to compete at this level, basically for a Stanley Cup? Well, I mean, you're looking at, like I said, if you look at that 26 to 34, um, and how many you returned 22 players, I believe, that, that played last year. Uh, the, the highest percentage of, of returning uh, players to a Stanley Cup team um, in, in the cap era. Uh, so, so management has has dialed all of that stuff in. Uh, hiccups along the way, sure, it happens. But mostly, uh, like you said, the right people at the right time. Um, Mark Stone, um, Kelly McCrimmon knew him from junior. Jack Eichel, a reach, but not really because they know they knew – what they lack was a, a, a legitimate number one center in the league. Um, goaltending has come together, and the defense is rock solid. And you bring in a, a coach that that has a, a, a real clear vision of how to play defense and get the puck to your forwards, um, and it, it, it all comes together. So to me, it's it's there, there's no there's no imminent drop off in, in my mind. And I don't want to put a number on it, but. Um, we'll be having this conversation, uh, you know, hopefully over you know the next several seasons, I, and I don't see why not. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Um, and the, one of the things I wanted to say, and you know, I knew when he first came in when I heard that George McPhee was going to be the initial initial yeah. general manager. I'm like, wow, we got ourselves a really good one. I'm I'm a huge yep. hockey enthusiast, and uh, I will not forget that he helped Herbie Dr- Brooks construct that team in 1980 yep. in the Miracle on Ice. This guy just understands talent. And then a guy like Kelly McCrimmon, a lot of people were a little bit surprised initially when George McPhee stepped aside. McCrimmon steps in, and uh, we didn't see a drop off and I tell people this all the time when they say what do you think of this move or what do you think of that move I say listen far be it for me to ever 
question anything. George <laughs> McPhee or Kelly McPhee I am not qualified. It is way above my pay grade. I'm going to let Hockey Minds do what Bill Foley does and let Hockey Minds do what they do. And it has worked out really, really well here in Las Vegas. Uh, just super, super uh, happy about everything that is in place here. And the Vegas Golden Knights have set a new standard, in my opinion, for NFL fran- or, excuse me, NHL franchises. Yeah. As, as I told people the first year, it was like, I went to a Vegas show and a hockey game broke out. I I mean, and, and not just a hockey game, usually a good hockey game, which is pretty cool. Right. Finally, I got to ask you personally, Darren, what's going on with you? I know that there's a new venture. The Pepsi Ice Arena here is now going under the the the, um, the leadership or guidance of the Vegas Golden Knights. I know you've kind of take that over. So another ice yep. rink, everything hockey. And I say that the way I became knowledgeable of is one of my very good friends. You almost employed her. She's one of the managers over at the Pepsi Ice Rink. Jessica, you probably know what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, I'm just telling you straight up that uh, that this girl, she drives a Zamboni. I told her years ago when the Vegas Golden Knights first came to town, you might be the first female Van Zamboni driver in the NHL. Why don't you go after that job? She didn't want to do it. She's a very humble, modest person. Like a little cute girl driving a Zamboni, you'd be the hit of the NHL. Just food for thought, Darren, <laughs> when you're talking to people because she does drive yeah. a Zamboni. So, no, so, I know. I know. I think. She, she has uh, a lot of time vested uh, with Stations Casino. She I believe she's, she has, I believe she has a position. I talked to her face-to-face yesterday. I'm actually sitting in the front lobby at, uh, at the arena right now. We've been cleaning all day. Um, you know, we just, uh, Agora Properties is going to develop this whole area, uh, 72 acres. Um, eventually, uh, a new, uh, Two new sheets of ice and a training facility, um, a field house, and we didn't want to lose the ice. Um, so we came in and we became partners with them to to manage the, the facility for the next, you know, couple of seasons until the other rinks are ready. Um, so we've got uh, some tender loving care to give to to the building first, um, but we're in a management position to to help Agora uh, keep uh, keep whatever. I think right now the uh, working name is Ice Arena at Hilo Park. <laughs> There you go. As, as, cumber, as cumbersome as that is, but that's just a placeholder until we get uh, get it named. But yeah, we're uh, we've been uh, mopping floors and doing all kinds of the, the stuff behind the scenes here today. I'm really glad they're keeping the rink up. I think as many yeah. rinks as possible. It is so cool. I can't say a resurgence. I have to say a discovery of hockey yeah. in Las Vegas. You're seeing all these players come out. I know that uh, that uh, Jason, I can't think of his last name right now, but it came out of Vegas, and you're going to see a lot of other players coming oh, out. Zucker, of, yeah, yeah, Jason Zucker, Zucker, a, yeah. a tremendous player, yeah. an all-star, and you're going to yeah. see many other players be coming out of Las Vegas in the future because of the ice rinks and what the Vegas Golden Knights have done here in Las Vegas. To me, they united a community. And I don't think anyone that was here at the time, Darren, in, in October 1st of 2017, yeah. with one of the biggest tragedies in American history, definitely the biggest tragedy in Las Vegas history, the Vegas Golden Knights were more than a band-aid for this city, man. They were a cure. And not that we'll ever fully get over something like that, but they truly united a community. What they did was nothing short of miraculous. And then to see a run like that, you know, I will tell you straight up, Chris Chapman and I looked at each other in Game 5 when they won and, and when they when they won the Stanley Cup this year, we looked at each other and both of us had tears in our eyes. That's how it meant to, much it meant to us, just as members of the media, my friend. That's how cool yep. I think this whole thing was. That's fantastic. Yeah, for me, I, uh, I I enjoyed it as well. I've been in the NHL in various uh, capacities for 39 years. Never been on a championship team, and it was special. 
Well, we really appreciate it coming off. Now, now I don't feel as bad. I think I, I had to get you from Montreal and on the road, but I, I still appreciate you taking time out of your day, knowing you've got this venture going and all kinds of stuff on the broadcast last night. You can hear him all the time. Once again, it is Darren Elliott. He is, um, again, the uh, vice president of hockey programming and facility operations for the Vegas Golden Knights. Really, really appreciate your time. You bet, right? You too, Marco. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Again, great guy, Darren Elliott. You know, and these are the kind of people, Marco, that the Vegas Golden Knights have employed for the most part. Hockey minds, former hockey players, mm-hmm. you know, a guy like Sean Burke, who we mentioned, the goaltender coach for the Vegas Golden Knights, mm-hmm. a tremendous job he does developing goaltenders. And when you talk to guys like Aiden Hill, um, you know, you, you'll hear how much a guy like Sean Burke means to him. I mean, they have a history together, but ask Logan Thompson and you'll see the respect in his face. Ask Yuri Patera, mm-hmm. who came up last year and the little guidance that he got. But that is the type of people that the Vegas Golden Knights implored, employ. And you know, sports is sports. I remember this town, you know, they were ready to commit mutiny when Marc-Andre Fleury got let go and when Gerard Gallant wasn't going to be the, and we're going to hire the Sharks coach, the team that screwed us last year in the playoffs. <laughs> you know, the thing is, is this is hockey. This is professional sports. And again, anybody out there that is questioning the mind or the decision-making of Kelly McCrimmon or George McPhee, you're making a big mistake. First, do your due diligence on those two guys. See what their minds are in hockey, what they've accomplished over their careers, before you make any judgments, the right people are in the right places for the Vegas Golden Knights. Thus, Stanley Cup champions last year, and right now, the front runners and the favorites to do it again. Absolutely. And as far as the fan base, you know, we never had a sports, you know, I came from a sports town in Pittsburgh, obviously, but here, the fans didn't have it. They didn't know how to handle success and that it is a business, that players are going to go. And, you know, I, I was a big Mark Andre Fleury fan. There's no question. I was on, you know, the radio shows I did for two months before the expansion draft, screaming that has to be the first pick of the draft because there was never ever a goalie left unprotected of his quality in an expansion draft in NHL history. No, you're 100% right. You know, it's funny. Matter of fact, if you remember, Justin, I sat here on this show a few years back and I said, when I was filling in for T.C. Martin, that uh, Marc-Andre Fleury would not be a Vegas Golden Knight next year. And this is before they let him go. And everyone is like, oh, my God, we're, how can you say that? Like, my friend, I'm like, listen, the gaffe he just made against Montreal in the Western Conference Finals will absolutely echo for his career unless he gets out of here mm-hmm. he will be judged and remembered on that because he cost them the uh, the bottom line is he doesn't make that gaffe they probably go to the finals now they could have lost him and probably would have lost to tampa bay they were a juggernaut that year but they should have gone to their third stanley cup final that year would have been their second and they didn't because of a terrible gaffe by mark andre fleury that cannot be forgotten or overstated you don't make a mistake like that in the western conference final when you're a hall of fame goaltender it's just that simple so I said by him getting out of town, the fans will all jump on the flurry. Ba- oh, how can you let him go? And they'll forget about the gaffe. The, his statue will still get erected in a couple of years in front of T-Mobile Arena. But if you keep him and he doesn't play Will, which he has not since he's left here, 
there is going to be a problem and he will it will tarnish the legacy of Mark andre Fleury in Las Vegas. It was the best thing for him to get out of here. Now he's long forgotten. People have Aiden Hill flags up in their yards. That's professional sports and the same with Gerard Gallant. Gerard Gallant is a player's coach. He was the perfect inaugural coach for this team. Not just because he's a former Detroit Red Wing, because he was. But I think the Vegas Golden Knights, after their second season, needed to elevate beyond a player's coach. A more no-nonsense guy like a Pete DeBoer. He fit in good there. But Pete DeBoer underachieved, in my opinion, and in, in the opinion of the brass as well. And now they've got the guy in place. Yes, Bruce Cassidy didn't win a Stanley Cup in Boston. But he did win one here, and I think everyone that knew Bruce Cassidy saw his mind or his coaching, Marco, knew that this guy was eventually going to lead a team to the promised land. And the players bought into his system 100% with what they did. And he, his system is very goalie-friendly, you know, because they play defense in front of the, of the goaltender, and it made the, all of our goaltenders the whole way down the line. We had five goaltenders last year. That'll never be duplicated in hockey again to have five guys contribute to a Stanley Cup victory. I mean, it was next man up every, every, every single time. This team is next. I mean, you know, in, in sports, I've always heard of the term in professional sports. If you want to be a successful franchise, a franchise that wins consistently, you have got to be able to do something called plug and play. And that means next man up, as Marco just said, because people are going to get hurt at any sport. For God's sakes, in bowling, they dislocate their thumbs. I mean, every sport has potential injuries, especially the four majors here in the United States. There's injuries that are associated with them in every season, and you've got to be able to overcome them. The one and only season the Golden Knights did not make the postseason, I will give them the excuse it was due to injuries. They had more injury. If they would have made the playoffs last year, that year, they that would have been they would have made the playoffs with as a team having the most man injury hours of any team in NHL history had they done it, and they literally got down to the second to last game of the season before they were eliminated. That's how well they played with injuries. Now this team, Marco, is so deep. I mean, it blows my mind that you've got guys, you probably have five or six guys in Henderson playing with the Silver Knights that would be on rosters on other NHL teams starting as high as maybe the number two line with some of these guys, and yet they can't even see the S. Guys last year like Paul Cotter couldn't even get into the postseason because this team is so deep and so talented. That's the aftermath of having injuries because you it creates depth on your team because players get playing time that they would not have gotten. And let's not – the trade deadline last year, the moves that were made at the trade deadline was, at, you know, Barbashoff. That to me was the key, the key move for us. And I'm glad that, you know, again, we saw one guy go that was a fan favorite, but I'm glad we were able to keep him because to Younger. me – as equally talented offensively, it's not more so. And the, let's be realistic. Riley Reed was not a physical hockey player. Yeah. Riley Reed could, uh, uh, Riley Smith. Reed. How about Riley Smith? I'm talking about a, a porn star yeah. and I apologize <laughs> about that. Riley Smith. Riley Smith truly had one of the, uh, you know, one of the greatest, uh, you know, greatest demeanors of any Golden Knight was a leader inside the locker room, mm -hmm. outside, deservedly wore one of the very first letters ever given to a hockey player mm -hmm. in Las Vegas, deserved that as well. But he was not a physical presence. He was a guy that could take the physicality of the game, but he didn't distribute it. 
Ivan Barbashev is a guy that takes it and distributes it and is equally, in my opinion, offensively talented. It was a great move and also four and a half years younger than mm-hmm. Riley Smith. All those things added up. But I think the Vegas Golden Knights fan base is getting acclimated with the National Hockey League because you didn't hear nearly the whining that you heard when as other players left, like Ryan Reeves. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Reeves was a guy they needed. He fit the bill, but he was completely offensively inept. He had some goals in the Stanley yeah. Cup playoffs. That happens. Yeah. But the bottom line is Keegan's Colasar might not have been as as physically gifted as far as fighting goes as Ryan Reeves, but he's a guy that can mix it up, not scared of anybody. And Keegan Colasar does have more, is a little bit more offensively gifted. And then you got got other guys like Nicholas Haig, Nicholas Wad that are big guys that are starting to mix it up as well. Right. But the cool thing is the Vegas Golden Knights fan base, Marco, is is is, is getting hockey now. Absolutely, you got to learn. You know, you got to walk before you can run. And fan base is learning how to enjoy hockey, and uh, it's fun. It's fun to watch it grow. I love that you said walk before you run. The Vegas Golden Knights started walking. They never had to crawl. Usually yeah. it's crawl before yeah. you walk. They never had to crawl. They came here walking yeah. and, as a matter of fact, turned it into a sprint pretty quickly. Listen, you are listening to the T.C. Martin Show. I'm Brian Feldman. He's Marco D'Angelo. Behind the big board is the Tuckmeister, known as uh, Justin Tuck, the real name behind the guy. We appreciate him and everyone else. We're going to take a quick break now. On the other side, we'll be back with the second hour, which we are going to have Chris Matthews. Sports Director at 8 News Now and T.C. Martin will join the show at the bottom of the hour for the best bets. We'll see you in a minute.